Hello, friends, and welcome to the Now and Zen podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Goo Goo Sleep Company and by Dream Drive. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Hello, everybody. I'm really excited about this episode. I sit down with a real Japan veteran and super savvy businessman, Mr. Seth Sulkin. Seth is the founder and representative director of Pacifica Capital. They own and operate several international hotel brands, including two properties from the Marriott International's lifestyle brand called Moxie. These are located in Tokyo and Kyoto. This is indeed a cool and fun chat, as you will soon hear. But the more engaging part of our conversation revolves around Seth's new altruistic entrepreneurial endeavor called Foodie or Food E. It's an innovative new service and gorgeous app focused on gourmet restaurant food delivery. We learn all about the restaurant food delivery industry, the economics of restaurants, and how Foodie is solving all those headaches of the current food delivery apps. If you love delicious food, comfortable chairs, and straight, candid opinions, you will thoroughly enjoy this episode. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Seth Sulkin. Okay, Seth Sulkin, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This is my first podcast, so uh, I'm very excited to, to try this format out. You are the president and CEO at Pacifica Capital, a hotel developer and operator with more than 25 years of commercial real estate experience in Japan. You also launched a new business recently. It's a premium gourmet restaurant food delivery company called Food E. So there's two things to talk about, the hotel business and then the new food delivery app business that you have. You got a lot going on. You're a very interesting guy, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, you recently launched a premium food delivery company in Tokyo called Food E. It's a gourmet delivery business. Yes. Why did you come up with this idea? So, when the Japanese government, you know, issued the emergency declaration, I worked from home in April and May, as we all did. But I can't stay at home all day. I, you know, every day I went out to eat once or twice a day. You know, I, I'm just curious about everything. And so whenever I went to a restaurant,、um, you know, I would talk to the owner or the manager and I'd say, How are you doing? And I could see that they had no customers, but I said, Are you doing takeout? Have you tried delivery? And initially I was just doing it out of curiosity more than anything else because I'm just always interested in how people do business. And I'm always looking for better ways you know, to fix things. You know, everybody said to me, yeah, we, we tried takeout, take but it doesn't sell. You know, we get one or two, three orders a day, and that's about it. And then regarding delivery, it was really delivery that surprised me. So they said, well, 
The problem with the delivery business, the, you know, the existing delivery apps, is that the, the commissions they charge are way too high. Uber Eats, I'm told, now charges 38% of, of sales. And is that passed on to the consumer or the restaurant pays that? Well, those are two questions. Okay. So a restaurant pays 38%, depending on when they sign the contract. You know, if they sign the contract since the pandemic started, they, they might be paying 38% of sales. That's a very high number. It's huge. But I, you know, from what I understand, when Uber came to Japan, they started off at 30% and they've gradually raised it. And now it's up to 38%. But even at 30%. Yeah. And, and you know, other apps, Demicon, Menu, whatever, I mean, they're all above 30%. You know, the difference between fast food and a good restaurant, I mean, it's massively different. You know, fast food, you know, their margins are pretty high. Their labor costs are low. Whether you order in the restaurant or you deliver, it's the same thing. Whereas a nice restaurant, it's, it's, it's different. When you eat in a restaurant, generally anywhere from 30 to 60% of your bill is alcohol. When you order for delivery, very few people order alcohol. I mean, most restaurants don't even sell alcohol for delivery. But even if they do, most customers don't, don't order alcohol. Yeah. Is it even allowed to do that? Yes. You know, it is possible, depending I, if you have the right license, yes. I've been to an Italian restaurant before, and I was drinking some delicious wine. I said, can I buy a couple bottles and take it home? And they said, well, we can't let you do that. Yeah, that, mis- that means they don't have the right license. The margin for good restaurants, without those alcohol sales, they can't pay 38%. Because... You know, if you if you take out the alcohol sales, the, you know they're using good raw ingredients, good quality food, right. you know, vegetables, meats, seafood, whatever, and they're using a lot of labor. The profit margins on food are fairly low, yeah. And so, you know, with a balance between food and, and alcohol, you know, restaurants can make it work. But if the alcohol disappears, they can't make enough money to pay thirty-eight percent. That always shocked me about really nice restaurants. You can usually see into the kitchen. You can see how many people are yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's Just enormous. Just in the kitchen, there's so many people. And that's not even the wait staff. Right. So over April and May, you know, I was eating out every day, you know, generally at decent restaurants. Not always luxurious, but, but not fast food. And so I was talking to the restaurants about their business. And everybody told me the same story. And after, you know, after 20 people told me the same story, you know, I thought, well, first of all, I was worried that all my favorite restaurants are going to go out of business. So you're personally invested in this in this new business, obviously. Yeah. So I thought, well, first of all, I have to save my favorite restaurants, and then second of all, I thought, well, I think there's a business opportunity here. Sweet. And so, so what I decided is, I said, okay, I'm going to fix this. So I analyzed the business model of the existing delivery apps, and I realized I'm going to change it. Disruptor. Starting in late May, I started um, interviewing app developers. In early June. I signed a contract with an app developer, and the app was finished in late, late September, and we started business October 1st. Very quick. I, I've made a number of, of, of major innovations. In order to make this affordable for restaurants, so the two major complaints that restaurants had about the, the existing delivery apps, number one, the cut that the apps take is way too high, and number two is the quality of the delivery itself. Uber uses part-time amateur drivers, and they get a lot of complaints, both from the restaurants and from consumers. If you're a good restaurant, you care as much about how the food is delivered sure. as, as anything else. It's like part of the supply chain. Yeah, because 
if the food is delivered in, in the wrong way, ultimately it's the restaurant that suffers. It's not the driver that suffers or, yeah. or even the app that suffers, it's the restaurant. You know, they can't risk that reputational damage. So I realized we had to have professional drivers. And then the other thing I needed to change was, you know, most, all the existing delivery apps charge very little to the consumer for the actual cost of the delivery. Some apps charge nothing. Sometimes it's just included in the price. Demicon doesn't generally charge for delivery. Uber, it can be free or, you know, it's generally ranging between zero to 100 yen in most cases. But the actual cost of the delivery for a, an amateur driver is going to be between three to 500 yen generally. And so the app has to subsidize the driver out of the cut they take from the restaurant. But because most of their restaurants are fast food or, or low-cost restaurant, the average order size is very low, you know, probably between sure. 1,000 to 1,500 yen. At 1,000 yen, if you're taking 38%, that's 380 yen. But, you know, you're going to have to pay the driver three to 500 yen. And so if you only charge the consumer, let's say, 100 yen, that means most no. of the, the cut you're taking from the restaurant has to go to pay the driver. So that right. means that Uber's not making money, I mean, clearly the driver's not making a lot of money, and the restaurants are losing money. So everybody's unhappy. Right. So that's a, that's a bad situation. So I realized, wow. well, we've got to change this. So you've got to charge the, the consumer a fair price for delivery. Only by doing that can we lower the, the cut to the restaurants to a reasonable level. Makes sense. We charge consumers 1,000 yen for the delivery, and that allows us to lower the commission that we charge restaurants to, to a fair level. People that want to order out from Elio, that want to order out from Nobu, want to order out from the, the Grand Hyatt, they don't mind to pay another thousand yen. That's, that's right. So um, there's two overseas examples of similar apps that focus on, on gourmet restaurants. Oh, really? In the U.S., there's a company called Caviar, and in London, there's one called Supper. There's some similarities compared to what Foodie does, but also a variety of differences. You know, U.S. is a big place. You know, this concept doesn't work everywhere in the U.S., so Caviar picks and chooses their spots. So they pick areas where there's a concentration of good quality restaurants and consumers that have enough money to, to, to spend. So initially, Foodie is, is targeted in, in an, a radius of five kilometers from Nishiyazabu. We will gradually expand, but we're never going to cover all of Japan. You're not opening a branch in Tochigi anytime soon. Exactly. Based on operating for almost a month, you know, our average order size is well over 10,000 yen. You know, we expect that to continue. So you just launched October 1st. How is it going? We have a great selection of restaurants. You do? Awesome selection. I think our biggest challenge right now is just getting the word out. Yeah. You know, promotion in Japan is enormously expensive and difficult. Traditional advertising is absurdly priced yeah. because <laughs> it's inefficient. Yeah. You know, if you want to advertise in a major newspaper, you know, they, their, their circulation is millions of copies. And so you can't afford, I mean, you know, we don't, we're not going after the mass market. You know, that's one benefit of a foodie's concept. The other delivery apps, because most of their restaurants are, are fast food, you know, they have to, their target is everybody in Japan. You know, our target, we're geographically targeted. And then because, you know, we're looking to people to spend... 10,000 yen on average, you know, there has to be 
you know, we, we consider them to have a, an average income of 6 million yen or more. Okay. That allows us to target our promotion. Okay. So you mentioned the restaurants, you mentioned the driver, you, and you mentioned the split of the profits. What other differentiators yes. or USPs does Foodie have? So another one is the photos. You know, Uber has over 30,000 restaurants in Japan. Demaikon has 24,000. Menu has 15,000. When you have that many restaurants and you're adding several hundred a month, you can't spend a lot of time or energy on the photos. That's content. So let me make an analogy to the hotel industry. There are online travel agents, Expedia, Booking.com, in Japan, Rakuten Travel, Jalan. You know, when you're going on one of those online travel agents to look for a hotel, you're normally focused on saving money. You're not going there to book a luxury hotel. It's the same thing with food delivery apps. If you're going to Uber or Demaikan, you're not generally looking for fine dining. You know, you're generally focused on price. True. That's the problem. Foodie is the first app which is focused on quality of food and the experience. We, we don't have fast food. We have minimum orders. So for lunch, the minimum order is 3,000 yen. For dinner, it's 5,000 yen. Foodie exists to provide great food for people who can't or don't want to go out to eat all the time, but still want great food. That's the difference. So when you go to Foodie, we expect a lot of our customers probably already know the restaurants. But if you don't, when you're scrolling through Foodie Choices, if you pick a restaurant, the first thing you see is you see a description of the restaurant. It's history, what's special about it. Yep. And then you don't just see the photos of the food that you can order. You see photos of the chef, of the interior of the restaurant. So Storytelling 101. Exactly. So we're, we're trying to create a story for the restaurant right. to help people understand why they should spend extra money to order from these, these restaurants. And I none like of the it. other apps is doing that. No, of course not. But then if you, then it comes to the food. It's our, more of a, like a, a sniper approach versus a shotgun approach. Our photos are materially better than any other app in the industry. Are these photos provided by the restaurant or do no. you take them yourself? No, we, we, we choose professional photographers and we supervise the photography. When you look at our photos, you get hungry. You want to eat that food. Well, disclaimer, I've used Foodie. The restaurant that I, I ordered from, I had my selection of dishes that I was planning to order. And I went through and I looked again and one of the photos actually got me to order order something different that I wasn't planning to order because of the photos. True, true story. I'm glad to hear that and that's exactly our intention. We want the photos to be so mouth-watering that you have no choice but to order. I mean, that is exactly the goal. And you can't say that about any other app in Japan. But could I play devil's advocate for just a second? Of course. Couldn't Uber Eats do something similar and just call it Uber Eats Premium or something like that? Do the same thing? Yeah, they would have to. I mean, their existing business model doesn't allow them to do what we do. Now, could they create something separate? I mean, maybe. I mean, Uber is more about volume. You know, we're more about quality. Understood. I mean, obviously, we need volume. We need some volume. You know, we, we're not going to have 30,000 restaurants. What I'm very curious about is how were you able to convince these fine dining restaurants, which pride themselves 
in the quality of their food, served at the perfect temperature in an atmosphere and ambience of their restaurant, to give up control of one part of the restaurant experience supply chain. This has been the, the most amazing thing about starting Foodie. So I've been doing business with Japanese companies for 35 years. Everything in this country is slow. I would say, in Foodie's case, I mean, I do m- most of the, almost all the sales, initial sales calls, I do them all myself. Because we've started off with restaurants that either I know personally or through introductions of people that I trust. I would say more than 80% of the time, I get a decision in the first meeting. Really? I have never experienced anything like this in 35 years of doing business in Japan. They're not concerned that when you deliver it, it's not going to taste like Nobu in the restaurant is going to taste different. I mean, that's a serious concern. That's their well, pride. So if it weren't for the pandemic, probably I wouldn't be this successful. So clearly the pandemic has helped. I mean, fine restaurants are all struggling mightily. While luxury hotels are doing well, luxury restaurants are not. They need help. They can't work with the existing food delivery apps, both because of the commissions as well as the quality of the delivery, um, among other things. But those are the two main reasons. So our business model was designed to solve the problems of these restaurants. We offer high-quality delivery, reasonable commissions, great photos, and a number of other things that are far better than the competition. I mean, like I said, in all my time in Japan... I've never gotten a decision in one meeting. Wow. And now over 80% of the time, by the end of the meeting, they tell me, I'll do it. Is it because they're, because they're desperate? They see your vision or they know who you are and that you've got a great track record and a pedigree? It's a combination. So I would say... <laughs> As it always is. I, I would say that you know, I have enough of a track record in Japan that I have a reasonable level of credibility but then, on top of that, I've created a business model that meets their needs. Sweet. The combination of my track record in doing business in Japan, plus having come up with a business model specifically designed to, to meet their needs, allows them to say at the end of the first meeting, yes, I'll do it. So the first time it happened, I thought, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. But it's now happened so many times, I realized, wow. I, I have come up with the, the right business model. Is it and fun? It's, it's great. It's an awesome experience because they, they tell me. They say, wow, you know, we've been pitched by every other food delivery app and you're the first one that meets our needs. It's an awesome feeling. It's just... I love hearing stories like this. I, I, I have never experienced this or before. We should do a cheers. Sorry, cheers is All better. Right. Cheers. When I hear a new business idea, I get really excited about it, similar to you. And so when I heard about Food E, I was very interested in it. I signed up, I used it, enjoyed it. But I also thought, how could this be even better? And so I've come up with a few ideas of my own on how to make Food E a, a greater app. So. I, I, welcome, I welcome suggestions. If you indulge me, okay, I will give you some I will, ideas. I will listen to your ideas, and then yeah. I will tell you my feedback. For number one, a follow-up questionnaire. So you just started a month ago. 
And I would assume that probably consumer feedback is paramount right now. Yes. With a follow-up questionnaire, something like, what did you like most about foodie? How could we improve? How does it compare to in-house dining? It could even be a star's rating in relation to the presentation, the food temperature, the value, yeah. et cetera. And this could be, it could be incentivized by offering a discount on the next order. You need feedback right now. So a, a follow-up questionnaire. Yes, um, that's a good idea. And we are getting feedback. Um, we have sort of too much feedback for what we're prepared to handle at the moment. Really? In order to get the, the app up and running as quickly as possible, we had to make certain compromises. It's not fully ready yet in the sense that over time, we're going to be adding a lot of additional features. So, for example, you can only register one credit card. You can only register one address. I mean, those are just examples. Within the near future, we will add the ability to register multiple credit cards and multiple addresses. So okay. people are giving us feedback. You know, we, we developed the app in about three months. Which yeah, is, I was Which is surprised. very fast. Yeah, very fast. Um, and because I didn't want to wait too long. I mean, it's, it was a pandemic. We had to, you know, save these restaurants. And so we had to be up and running as quickly as possible. So to do that, we had to make compromises. The app works very well. It, it looks good but it doesn't do everything that it ultimately will. I don't want too much feedback yet because we're still, you know, we've been opening, we've been open less than a month. We're still in the learning phase. And so I'm sure people have a lot of feedback, but we're still not in a position to implement every idea that people give us. I like it, yeah. Yeah, because if you look at our competitors, all of their promotions are basically about price. You know, they're saying if you order from this restaurant today, you get a free delivery or you get this percentage off or you get a free yeah. whatever. So basically they're training. It's, it's a bit like department stores in the U.S. I mean, this is the problem with Macy's is that they're basically promoting discounts every day. A race to the bottom. Yeah. And so we don't want to be doing that. Yes, we have to figure out how we give people incentives to give us feedback or whatever, but you know, promoting discounts constantly is, is not what we want to be doing. So you probably won't like this next recommendation then either, although it's a bit different. I call this one reciprocal coupons. When I order from Nobu, for example, within my food delivery is a coupon for a future visit to the restaurant. It helps you with the restaurant to get the customer to not rely on delivery all the time, but actually get them back to the restaurant. The flip side of that is, if I'm dining at the restaurant, when they give me my bill or whatever, they also give me, could be a coupon or whatever, to order their food from their home. It's yeah. kind of a synergy give and take. Yeah, and that's our premise. For example, if you go to Nobu's homepage, there will be a link to Foodie. You know, it will say, you know, this is information about eating in the restaurant. If you want delivery, there's a link to, you know, you click and then you get linked to Foodie. You know, we encourage Foodie customers to visit our restaurants because we think that if they eat in the restaurants and appreciate the quality of the food and the service, you know, they won't be able to go all the time. And so, you know, if they eat once a month or a couple times a year in the restaurant, they'll order more often for delivery. 
I mean, we want people to uh, to eat in the restaurants. Fantastic. So, Great. yeah, I like the Great. concept of, of promoting. I mean, you know, foodie has no direct benefit if a customer eats in the restaurant, but indirectly, yes, we think yeah. it will result in additional orders. It's a, it's a feel good. I mean, people are not going to ever abandon going to a restaurant because it's an, it's an experience. But sometimes they don't have time to go to the restaurant. You know, in addition to deliveries to people's homes, you know, we're also encouraging people to eat in, you know, in, the, in their office. You, know, you can do small events, you know, company parties, that, that sort of thing. We don't restrict where, where the food is delivered. Okay, here's a couple crazy ones. Yes. Just hear me out here. Delivery together with the food order is a candle hmm. with the foodie logo on it to facilitate that fine dining atmosphere. I can imagine some, you talked about Instagrammable earlier, right? So you order from Nobu, and I'm just using Nobu as an example because it's one of the foodie restaurants. It's the restaurant that I ordered from. I can imagine the Instagrammable there. Hey, I'm eating Noble at home, and they take a photo, and there's the there's the candle, and it's got your logo on it. That's a that's a nice idea. That I have to admit, that's not something we've considered, but <laughs> um, but I like it. Okay, then you're gonna love this next one. Okay, Food E Spotify channel. Integrate it to your app. It plays the same music that's being played at the restaurant, also on your Spotify. <laughs> so you got the candle, yeah. you got the music, you got the food. It's all about atmosphere and about the experience. Uh, I have not thought about that either. <laughs> okay, well, I'm getting a big smile out of you. Yeah. I, I, thought, I, was getting, I thought I was gonna get a big uh, frown on this one, but. You know, to the extent we can have something to remind people of the same experience of eating in the restaurant, that's great. Yeah. We would have to come up with a way to remind people of the experience of eating in the restaurant. We all know getting a great sleep is important, and this is what Goo Goo is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu. Better sleep, better you. What is your favorite Japanese word that doesn't have a direct English translation? Okamochi. Okamochi. How would you explain that? My Japanese is very good. I, you know, I've been fluent for, for 30 years. And so on a normal basis, I don't learn that many new words. But when I, I learned the word okamochi after I started foodie. Okamochi is the device that you see if you order soba or ramen. And you, know, you see the, the little Honda bike that people drive. Yes. It's got the stabilizer on the back. Yes, yes, yes. That is an okamochi. Okay. So the Okamochi is the stabilizer uh, that's on the bikes so that your, your soup noodles don't spill. Okay, well, that's, that's not really your favorite Japanese word. That's just something that's functionally... No, but I love the word. I mean, like I said, I, I, I didn't know that word. I didn't know there was a word. What's for the that? kanji for Okamochi? Mochi is to hold, right? To have. I actually ha I haven't seen the word in writing. I don't, I don't actually know. 
Only if there was a way that we could look that up. Do you know Okamochi? I just heard the explanation just then. I was just checking it to see what... Oh, look at you, you little eavesdropper. Here it is. It's a wooden carrying box. Um, wooden carrying box. Well, okay. But what's, what's Oka? Well, I don't know why Oka... I, I don't know why it's that character. Well, um, what is the kanji for it? Well, Oka, like Okayama. Like Oka, a, Oka, like a small hill. Yeah, like exactly. A, yeah. So why it's called that, I have no idea. Okamochi. So I guess it's because... It's designed so that even over a small hill, it's stable. One reason why I wanted to talk to you is because I love hotels. Back in 1994, I was working for a Japanese travel publisher called the World Hotel Index. Obviously before the internet, and so people that wanted to book overseas travel or hotels had to go to a travel agency and the travel agencies had to use a big, thick hotel directory to reserve hotels overseas. It was my job to go to all of these overseas destinations that were popular with Japanese. I would basically do sales calls to all the top hotels, make five or six sales calls every single day. It was, I was in my 20s. It was a really fun job, and I got to stay at a lot of really nice hotels. I had this love with hotels. Was there anything similar which led you to the hotel acquisition and development business? Yes. One of the things that's unusual, I mean, because I own my company, I can do whatever I want to. My expertise is real estate development and management, but I only do the, the kinds of real estate that I'm interested in. You know, I like doing something that's creative, it's interesting, and, you know, hotels are, are fun. I mean, everybody loves hotels. Right. And Pacifica is both a, a hotel developer, and then we have an affiliate called Pacifica Hotels, which is a hotel operator. Pacifica Capital develops a hotel, and then Pacifica Hotels operates the hotel. And, we and then you also have a hospitality company as well. Pacifica Hotels is the hospitality company. It's under the umbrella of Pacifica Hotels. A little bit of a Seth Silken Zaibatsu going Exa on here exactly. a little bit. Yeah, okay. That's right. So, <laughs> yes, each hotel has a separate, what is called a management company. All right. So we choose only to do international brands because we think the most important thing about the hotel business is distribution, meaning access to guests. Japanese hotels, you know, very few of them have their own customers. So most hotels have to go into the online travel agent market. The Prince Hotel has their loyalty card program. How many people stay at the Prince because they really like the Prince? <laughs> I mean, have you ever stayed in a Prince? You know, nobody stays in the Shinigawa Prince because they like it. And, you know, the Prince food tastes the same at every Prince in Japan. And the rooms are uniformly unattractive, yep. and the food is, is uniformly mediocre. The only exception is the latest hotel they opened in Kyoicho. You know, that's the first time they actually built a nice-looking hotel with good food. There's not much difference between the, the Prince Hotel rooms and, say, a business hotel room. They're larger, but yeah, but little, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah the, the furniture and the fixtures, you're the right. The accoutrements are, in those rooms no, are very not, similar. They're not, they're not materially better. You're absolutely right. How much of the hospitality side do you get into? I get involved in everything where the consumer touches. I supervise the design. I pick every piece of furniture. 
I personally sit in every chair and test the chair and make sure that every chair is comfortable. You know, if you go to, you know, most hotels you, you, you go to, if you sit in the chairs, they're, they're, they're not comfortable. Designers pick chairs for the way they look, not for the way they feel when you sit in them. And so I reject lots and lots of chairs pr proposed by our designers because I say, yes, we want nice looking chairs, but if they're not comfortable, I'm not allowing them in my hotel. But don't you have to follow some degree of a template because you're working with international chains? Yes and no. We have a sort of, I mean, it depends on the brand. So with Moxie, there, there, it doesn't specify the furniture. So we, we still choose the furniture. Okay. You know, there's certain things about a Moxie. Like the guest rooms, we have less flexibility with the guest rooms and more flexibility with the public areas. Even in the guest rooms, you know, the mattresses are fixed, but uh, the chairs I can still pick. The lighting I make sure doesn't get in people's eyes. Uh, you know, so yeah. I choose the rugs. I choose everything that, that the, the consumer looks at or touches, I pick. Isn't that a, a bit too micromanaging for somebody of your position? It wasn't my intention to do that. But what I realized was if you let the designers get out of control, the, you don't get the right product. Hotels that are developed by big Japanese companies, generally they don't have someone like me who, who understands what the consumer wants, right. and therefore they don't get involved in the detail. They let the designers control things. And so, you know, I recently stayed at a brand new hotel, and I tried all the chairs, and you know, most of them were, were completely horrendous. 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 Okay. And I, you know, I talked to the general manager. I said, "You've got to get rid of these chairs." Another brand new hotel had a pool. Around the pool, there were these sort of chaise lounges, and the angle didn't allow you to sit and read. I mentioned this to the general manager. I said, the, the, these, are, these are useless. He, he didn't believe me. I said, go to the pool. And, and I mean, he had never tried it himself. He went to the pool, sat it, and said, you're right. I'm going to throw these away and replace them. Now, that's because general managers don't get involved in furniture selection. You're right. It, it's a level that I didn't intend to, to get involved in, but I, I have to get involved. Another thing I get directly involved in is menu planning. Interesting. Do you have a food and beverage background at all? I don't, but once again, I, I have to get involved. You know, these days, a hotel has to be Instagrammable. I mean, that's, that's right. just about as important as anything else we do. And so the food has to look good, it has to taste good, and it has to be, you know, it has to be hygienic, it has to be efficient, uh, it has to, you know, the, the margins have to make sense. We'd like to have a great breakfast, but we don't do... You know, we're, we're not as much focused on lunch and dinner because we do generally medium-range hotels and right. people don't tend to eat lunch and dinner in them. So, True. you know, we want to serve people a great breakfast and then tell them, you go out for lunch and dinner. So my goal is to come up with an innovative breakfast menu. So, I got one for you. Well, French toast. Well, French toast is very big in Japan right now. And you can Instagram because you can use whipped cream, you can do fresh fruits, you can do maple syrup, you can do honey. But it's, it's, it's also fairly labor-intensive. French toast? Yeah, it takes time. You know how I make my French toast? I actually get the French bread, and I keep it out overnight so it gets a little bit stale. And then when I soak it in the egg, it doesn't get too gooey. And then I, I fry it up that way. Yeah, and so high-end hotels do very well with French toast. Medium hotels... Yeah, it just, it takes too long. So, you know, 
for our next hotel, I came up with what I thought were two really interesting alternatives mm -hmm. that were distinctive, easy to prepare, and allowed you know sufficient margins, and as well as look good. Nice. Can you provide some insight? I am not going to disclose our secrets at this point for it. And, and, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. So there's a new Moxie that just opened uh, a, a, about a month ago, and their breakfast main dish is a poke bowl. Is a what? Poke bowl. You know, poke bowl. Yeah, yeah, from like for Hawaii with the yeah. maguro, with the tuna, and yeah, yeah. avocado. Yeah. And so that's a, a very creative idea. Sure. And I tried it, and I, it looks good, it tastes good. It's distinctive. That's a model of what you should do. Yeah, I, do, I don't know their profit margins, so whether sure. it works from that perspective, I, I can't say. You're really focused on chairs and breakfasts. <laughs> well, because that's what the consumer feels most. You know, if, you, if the customer sits down and it's uncomfortable, they're going to yeah. be unhappy. And if the breakfast is bad, they're going to be unhappy. You, do you like Italian food? Of course. Where I was going with this was chairs. Yes. And one of my favorite Italian restaurants in Tokyo is La Bisboccia in Hiro. You know, yeah, not a lot of, I have never eaten there, although I've, I've heard a lot about it. I don't know why I've never eaten there, but I haven't. I was always a La Bisboccia guy. I went there. I love the food. I love the ambience, the service. But the chairs suck. They are like a perfect... L shape, they're wooden. Yeah, but I can't believe you would go and sit in a chair that's uncomfortable. No matter how good the food is, if the chair's no good, I don't want to be there. Well, that might, it's, it's okay for about an hour. If I went to a place as often as you did, I would just tell them, you, you change the chairs or I'm never coming back. I like developing that kind of relationship with the restaurants that I yeah. frequent. They went full out on the decor. They wanted to make it look like a real traditional Italian restaurant, and they imported all the stuff. So they, they, he said, "There's no way we're going to change these chairs." Well, but that's exactly. But that's what I was saying earlier. If you if you choose your chair purely for the way it looks, but you don't actually test it and sit in it, then you're making a big mistake. You know, McDonald's deliberately makes chairs uncomfortable so that people leave. Sure. You know, a nice restaurant shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> okay, true. Your main business is hardware, right? It's hotels, it's development, it's management. And this new food e-business is a little bit like software. It feels like it's too complete. It's, it's almost like opportunity cost. Because you're spending so much time on food e that maybe you're neglecting some of the Pacifica business or something like that. It means you only got 24 hours in a day. Well, uh, what I would say is, you asked me earlier, would I recommend that anyone build a new hotel today? And I said no. So I would say Pacifica, new opportunities for Pacifica are not related to development. We continue to look at buying existing hotels, but you know, once we open a hotel, you know, I have a, a professional team of people. So I would say most of my value added is during the development phase. Delegation. It's during, it's during the pre-opening phase. Okay. So I have a great team of people. Once we open, you know, I monitor the numbers. We, we, I talk with them regularly. I visit them regularly. But my role is much, much smaller after we open. Assuming I get it right. I mean, if, if I don't get it right, then then I have to continue being involved in a, in a heavy way. Assuming the chairs are correct. 
I haven't gotten the chairs wrong yet. Okay. Well, so um, <laughs> the common thread of this podcast will be the chairs. Yes. Obviously. So, <laughs> but no, I mean, foodie is you know is more similar than you think. I mean, yes, it's not physical; it's virtual. Right. But. It's a delivery mechanism. I mean, one of the, the most important things of building a hotel is picking the right location and then picking the right brand, the right concept to fit a particular location. In Foodie, that's effectively what I've done. Yeah. I've picked the right virtual location and I've picked the right concept to meet the restaurant needs. Sure. Now, we've been in operation for less than a month and you know, we haven't, you know, a lot of consumers still don't know about us. So the biggest challenge that we have going forward is to make consumers aware that Foodie exists. And that's very challenging because our competitors, three main competitors, even though you know, we don't compete for the same restaurants. I mean, one of the unique things about Foodie is all of the restaurants on Foodie are exclusive to Foodie. We're the only company in the industry oh, doing that. Interesting. Okay. Every restaurant on the other app typically goes on multiple apps. Sure. Whereas foodie restaurants are exclusive to foodie. Uh, you know, that's, that's a significant difference. What's your criteria for choosing a restaurant? You know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. It's about restaurants that, that I believe offer the quality that, <laughs> that's consistent with our other restaurants. Again, it's up it, to you. It's, it's your decision. It's your man, micromanagement of exa- it. That's exactly true. It's just the same way I choose chairs. <laughs> I love it. Fair enough. I mean, I don't choose a chair that's not comfortable to sit in. <laughs> that's been made abundantly clear. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I go to the restaurant. I look at the, you know, I look at the atmosphere. I look at the, you know, I look at the quality of the service. I look yeah. at the quality of the food. I, I want to make sure that, that our, we have consistently high quality. Is there anything that you want to announce or you want to talk about or something maybe that I didn't cover that you would like to mention? I think everybody should try Foodie because, you know, people are ordering food for delivery. There's no question about it. I mean, yeah. you know, J- Japanese have been ordering delivery at home for hundreds of years. Yeah, demi. Is, yeah, I mean, it's not a new concept. What's new here is the quality of the food. I would say... Over 90% of Foodie's restaurants have never been available for delivery before. These are restaurants that, you know, you would love to visit, but for, for whatever reason, you know, either, you're either afraid of going out or you can't go out as often as you want. And here, you know, Foodie allows you to get the same quality at home. Foodie, the URL is food, F-O-O-D hyphen E dot JP, foodie, and yes. the, the play on words there is foodie, like people that love food, right? Exactly. That's exactly it. But it's also food e, like e commerce food, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, we just figured when we came up with the name, we thought, well, you know, we want anyone who looks at the name to understand what it is and what it does. Perfect. You know, food hyphen e, you know, it looks like an internet company, but yes, I mean, it's pronounced the same way as foodie, you know, someone who loves food. And so we thought that was a great name. Seth Sogan, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I'm a user of Foodie and I love it. So I, very I, I urge that. everyone to use it as well. Cheers. Thank you. This has been great. I, I am very glad that you invited me. Um, I may have to create my own podcast. Who knows? It's a lot of fun. I know that your time is a premium and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers.
And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Seth Sulkin. Definitely someone who knows what he likes and is passionate about great service, delicious food, and comfortable hotel experiences. Seriously, Food E is a top-notch fine dining at-home opportunity, and the Moxie Hotel is a great stay, or even fun to just hang out and chill in the hip lobby bar scene. For a gourmet dinner tonight, check out Foodie. The URL is foodie-e.co.jp. And if you found this episode tasty, please give it a five-star rating or kind comment on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.